Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com earnings right now. NetSuite.com earnings. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, weekday mornings at 6 a.m. on London DAB Digital Radio and on demand via the Bloomberg Business app, and BloombergRadio.com. And now to Farnborough. The first major air show since 2019 is back this week, just outside of London. And the race to make zero emission flying taxis a reality is really on in Britain. Electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, which are actually more like a helicopter really than a flying taxi, sold the limelight back in February at the Singapore air show. With these new crafts comes, of course, new infrastructure, so-called vertiports. And the UK startup Urban Airport is already building hubs for these transport solutions of the future. So I'm pleased to say that the COO of Urban Airport, Andrea Wu, is with us on radio this morning, just ahead of getting out to the Farnborough show. Andrea, good morning. Hi, good morning, Caroline. Thank you so, so much for having me on the show. So look, this is still a really new concept, Andrea, sort of using drones as taxis, but they are expected to start coming into operation in the second half of this decade. Why do you think that people would use them? Um, I think there's many uh, many different aspects to it. I think, um, first of all, the best thing, um, our experience goes from 15,000 visitors that we welcomed in um, Coventry earlier this year we launched the world's uh, first fully operational vertiport in the city centre of Coventry. We demonstrated more than 100 um, cargo flights, carrying up to 50 kilo uh, cargo. And generally, the consensus from 15,000 visitors was absolutely amazing. Everybody's excited to buy into this uh, new mode of transportation. They understand that it's under the bigger um, umbrella of combat, uh, combating climate change, being more green and using hydrogen fuel cells, for example, as a new energy source um, is understood. And everybody's excited uh, to first, I guess, enter an Ibito manned and then transitioning into unmanned uh, Ibito mode of transportation. So when you say that everybody's excited, one of the things that I'm curious about with this space is to what extent this is really going to be a mass market product or is it something that really only the you know sort of people who might be just short of being able to afford a helicopter ride somewhere at the moment would be able to do? Where do you see it starting and where do you see it evolving? Correct. So because it's a, it's a completely new infrastructure sector like anything else, at the beginning it will be um, more of a, I guess, a VIP service. So that would mean when it comes to uh, commuting services where speed and com- primarily speed is, of a, is a priority or comfort, and then ultimately, um, when we look at different business models, 
it can it will transition into more um, of an available uh, transportation mode, but I don't think it will be able to replace, um, you know, let's say a, a tube ticket. But of course, it's 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 targeting. It's an intermodal uh, connectivity, so that means it's not going to replace an existing mode of transportation such as the tube or uh, trains or planes. But it's complementary, so it's an add-on. Um, yeah. which then means you can do the last 50 miles taking a veto, or especially when it comes to um, access accessibility issues. So we've been talking to different um, different sectors uh, throughout globally. Okay. That means we're, you know, from the, from the humanitarian side, you come in and use our, our cargo drone infrastructure, um, which we are also offering on top of the e-veto um, our passenger sure. market. The thing is, I mean, there are scores of kind of proposed eVTOL models, including sort of some leading ones uh, here in the UK out of Bristol, for example, but not a single one anywhere in the world has got regulatory approval yet to actually kind of take off, take passengers. How quickly do you think they'll win regulatory approval? Correct. So that, uh, that has been uh, one of the very popular questions at the, <laughs> at the last conferences um, in, in Rome, Italy and France. Literally all of them said, Okay, is there a chicken and egg situation where, yes. you know, do you build infrastructure while the certification process is still being developed? Or do you wait until you can be um, assured that, you know, the first routes are certified? Um, what our view is that infrastructure has to come first. Uh, there's uh, 500 OEMs on the market which either are looking, you know, to producing um, EVTOLs or cargo drones. But infrastructure has to be in the, has to be there in order to test it. So for anything to go commercial, I think that's why we um, we had our first commercial orders in um, this year from from Canada and from California because they understand the need that you know there is a certain amount of time, at least probably one or two years, to do lots of ground testing to work with um, legislative bodies. So we are very proud. We've worked closely with the CAA um, in Coventry over the past year to get approval for the cargo drone flights. So they now, for that specific uh, demonstrator, they refer to Urban Airport as the best standard practice. And we've also just um, had an announcement on Friday from the Airport Council International, which has 500-plus um, airport representatives. Um, they have invited us to join, um, to join the Urban Air Mobility Task Force to actively um, be, be part of new legislation and creating new precedents for our industry in urban air mobility. The, the, the aviation industry and air transport is famously a very low margin business, but in the US at least, uh, freight is a very high margin business. So mm-hmm. where, where is the money going to be for you guys? Is it going to be in transporting people and transporting goods? I think, like we said, it's, it's, a, it's a market that is still evolving. So lots of money is being invested but at the moment, um, it's all in, I guess, speculative figures. So cargo drones have already been operating. So we've just talked to um, various OEMs, for example, in Africa. Zipline has now signed up with um, with Japan and uh, Walmart in Arkansas. Uh, we're working with other OEMs. So uh, Hyundai Motors Group, our preferred infrastructure partner, and their urban air mobility division, Supernal. They're developing a cargo drone version and so a volocopter in Germany. Um, that will be the first, uh, I guess, deployment 
but but actually, no, inter- also, I, I guess, that's very interesting. Yeah. But I, I'm actually interested to know. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys must do some modelling and have some expectations of where you see yeah. the business developing. And what are your expectations? Mm-hmm. Is it really going to be in in people, or is it going to be you know more heavily skewed towards goods in terms of where the profit is? I, I think that's a tricky one. I think the car, talking about cargo drones, there's less less of an um, health and safety factor which means, um, you know, that that will be deployed more rapidly. I guess the figures, when we talk about um, tickets, I think there are different, different models that we're looking at. You know, do we, uh, is that ticket from an eVTOL then linked to a long-haul flight with BA or Lufthansa, for example? Is it um, from a hotel provider? Is it the Maldives who are replacing their seaplanes, which are unsustainable? So there's so many different um, models. I think both of them ultimately will be commercially viable, but I think the cargo drones or the whole logistics sector is going to come first because it's already happening. Yeah. Um, just in terms of also where, you you know, you're building out the infrastructure now, the UK has been mm-hmm. used because it's densely populated, it's highly urbanised and there's quite limited scope at the moment for where these uh, drones can kind of fly. Is that the model? Is that where we're going to see the first breakthroughs in, in densely urbanised places? I mean, basically, is it the UK or is it Singapore or somewhere else? Well, the, we haven't had any commercial orders from the UK yet. So the first ones, um, they are going to go to Canada, and there's, um, I guess, there's le- they're less. The areas are less dense. I think the UK is um, pushing very hard, but from the legislation side, I think mm, it's a tricky one. I think dense areas. I think vertiports, um, so for passengers, they will primarily be located um, close to other existing infrastructure. From the, because of the intermodal connectivity, also from a real estate perspective. Mm. So I think we're talking to Leeds Bradford, we've been talking to uh, London City Airport. Is there any interest? Primarily, you would start to do uh, test flights. These could be test flights just uh, being undertaken on the um, real estate that belongs to the airport. And then ultimately, um, you know, f- defining individual new routes that... Um, for example, like in Germany, you would do a route, which is a popular business route, where um, where they don't have flights anymore, and then you would start introducing EBITOs instead. Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, weekday mornings at 6am on London DAB Digital Radio and on demand via the Bloomberg Business app and BloombergRadio.com. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth, and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, 
or wherever you get your podcasts.